Hello, and welcome to the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and nobody told him life was going to be this way. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Hey, Shy, how's it going? I'm great, Rod. How's How you life? doing? How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing so well. So excited to see you again. It's great to be back uh, in the studio with you. And to all the listeners, we're happy that we're here for you. We've got a big time episode today. One of the most popular sitcoms ever made is going to be our focus today. But before we talk about that, Rod, the fan mail, it's been very interesting. Mm. We're getting a lot of questions from people about what kind of visas actual aliens from outer space would have needed in order extraterrestrials extraterrestrials yeah interesting yeah 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 we've been getting a lot of questions like that we're getting more questions about like what kind of visa et would have needed what kind of visa work from work and mindy would have needed there's a show called district nine people are asking about independence day what what do you think is up with that why do people want to know what kind of visas aliens would need somehow it's found its way into the zeitgeist i'm not really sure but you know people have aliens on the brain again maybe that it was you know was there a movie that came out that i missed that's alien centric or something it's really interesting just so everybody out there knows as of yet we don't know about extraterrestrial life so we don't have uh, u.s embassies and consulates on planets in the hoth system at least or, as of the recording of this episode right that is correct so we think that we might want to do an episode like a hypothetical episode in the future. Like hmm. what kind of visa, what would the visa process for an ET kind of guy look like? It'd be maybe, fun. Maybe yeah, we'll do we a, a fun episode. We could come up with the framework for that. We can yeah. des- decide that and then propose it to the UN perhaps. Perhaps we'll have our platform one day. Perhaps mm-hmm. we will. So we also have a very special guest a little bit later on in the episode. That we do. Yeah. Very excited for that. Yeah, we have somebody who's going to help us talk about the final takeaways about the show. So everybody, don't fall asleep until, or sleep until that point of the show. Until that point, yeah. Because I, you know, I have very little to say about this show because I did not watch it when it was on. So. <gasps> well, l- before we get into the show, let's talk about the ground. <laughs> oh, we have rules. rules. We got to talk we about have our rules. rules. We have we rules. have rules. We have uh, to have rules. Yeah. The the rule breaker, Rod. I know you don't like the rules, but here are the rules. Every episode, we focus on a particular movie or television show that features a foreign national character living and working in the U.S. We're going to do a deep dive into the movie or television show, focusing on the specific foreign national character. We are going to use our immigration detective skills to figure out what the character's U.S. visa status may have been, what problems or issues the character may have faced living in the U.S., and we are going to talk about a hypothetical consultation if the character came to us to ask for advice. And finally, very important, we are going to imagine that all characters are living in a 2021 immigration world. Those are the rules, Rod. You haven't broken them yet, and I'm expecting a lot out of you. I think we can manage. All right. So today, Rod, we're going to talk about a show that you admittedly never watched. Admittedly, yeah. It was during the 90s, a a time that you have forgotten about. We're not sure why, but we're some of gonna, it, there's some gaps in my memory. We're yes. going to get into that. The show we're talking about, of course, is the 1990s, early 2000s sitcom classic Friends. So, Rod, why don't you give everybody the breakdown 
of Friends. All right, certainly. So Friends aired on NBC from 1994 to 2004. It started an ensemble cast and focused on six 20 and 30 something New York City friends. That's Monica, Rachel, Phoebe, Ross, Chandler, and Joey as they grow through the trials and tribulations of big city living, dealing with things like dating, friendship, family, career choices, etc. The group is almost always together and often hang out at Monica and Rachel's apartment in the Greenwich Village neighborhood of Manhattan, or they're at a nearby coffee shop called Central Perk. Joey and Chandler are roommates who live in the same apartment building across the hall from Monica and Rachel, and much of the show takes place in their apartment as well. While each of the six friends was single at the start of the series in 1994, by the time the show ends, Monica and Chandler are married, Ross and Rachel have a baby together, Phoebe was married, and Joey is pretty much the same uh, bachelor ladies man as he was at the beginning of the show. During the 10 seasons, the show was consistently one of the highest rated on television and was nominated for over 60 primetime Emmy Awards. Over 15 years after its final airing, Friends now streams on HBO Max and is still adored by fans all over the world. Rod, you know, for somebody who didn't really watch the show, that was a pretty, pretty incredible recap of the show. You got all of that from four episodes? I got some of that for four episodes. I got a little, to be completely honest, because we're nothing if not honest with everybody here uh, so at, honest. at Ask Livy's Baby Podcast. I had some help from the outside on this. That's nice. That's nice that somebody helped you. I, I One yeah. day I want to find out who that person is. I know, we will never know. But, uh, but uh, you know, I don't want to say because I don't want to I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, I don't want to give anyone away as a fan of this show. Of yes. course. Of course. You're so nice. Let me talk about some interesting facts from this show. So Friends, <clears throat> big, big moneymaker. It continues mm-hmm. to generate approximately get this one billion dollars per year for wow. Warner Brothers. That is that's, crazy. That's a lot of money for a show that's, that went off the air. What, 15 years ago? That's something. That's, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. 16. Yeah. Friends has been credited in helping non-English speaking students to learn the language. A 2012 poll by Kaplan International English Colleges found that more than a quarter of its students cited the sitcom as the best show for helping them improve their English. That's fascinating to me. That just speaks to the popularity of this show outside the United States. I never realized it was that popular. I mean, I knew it was a big thing here. Everybody but me knew everything about the show. (laughs) Must be the reason a lot of... uh... Foreign people were saying, how you doing? Just like How'd Joey. Do- yeah, that's right. Yeah. And com- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Central Perk Coffeehouse, where the group hung out, is part of the Warner Brothers studio tour in Hollywood. There are accounts of tourists crying when they sit on the famed couch. That's an intense reaction. That's a little extreme for my taste, but yeah. uh, that's, you know. As everybody knows, the show takes place in New York. It was shot at Warner Brothers Studio in Burbank, California. Not one uh, episode or not one scene was ever shot in New York. In the U.S., 52.5 million viewers watched the series finale, and that was in May of 2004. It was the second most watched broadcast in the year 2004, trailing only something known as the Super Bowl. Wow. And, And this is the kicker. By this time the series wrapped, each of the six co stars was earning a reported $1 million per episode. In 1994, when the show started, they were each earning $22,500. That's not too shabby for a bunch of unknown actors. That's very good. That's what, 20 episodes or so per year, right? About a half million dollars. Yeah, we're no mathematicians, but that sounds sounds right. 
That sounds but, pretty good. You know, Impressive. They were getting, you know, I mean, that's a million dollars a piece per whew. episode. That's a good chunk of change. I mean, but, you know, on a show that was that popular, they absolutely deserved it. You know what I mean? That's, that's Rod, fantastic. One day, one day we'll be there. One yeah, day. We'll, we'll be getting a million dollars per episode <laughs> oh, someday. One day, one day. So that's, that's <clears throat> some interesting facts about Friends. And some of you right now, you might be wondering, what does Friends have to do with immigration? What does it have to do with foreign national characters? It has so much to do with immigration, so much to do with foreign national characters, because, <laughs> because today we're focusing on the character of Paolo, and Paolo was played by an Italian man named Cosimo Fusco. So, Rod, you are an expert on Paolo after watching all of his episodes. I have watched, I have to date, I have watched four episodes of Friends, so I'm fully up to date on Paolo. I've give seen us, all of his work. <laughs> give us all you got. I'm not familiar with Cosimo Fusco outside of the Friends uh, show, but I, I'd be curious to watch some of his other work. One day, uh, but, but now. One day, one not day. right now. Tell yeah. us about Paolo. So anyway, Paolo, he played a love interest of Rachel's in uh, three episodes during the first season and one episode in season two of the show. During an evening blackout, a lost cat ends up in Rachel and Monica's apartment. And during while searching for the owner, Rachel comes out to find that the cat belongs to an Italian man living in the building named Paolo. Rachel immediately takes a liking to Paolo, and the two begin an intense romantic fling. Paolo speaks very little English. This is Paolo. Paolo, I want you to meet my friends. This is Monica. Hi. And Joey. Hi. And, and Ross. Hi. Ragazzi, sono appena arrivato vivo al piano di sotto, quindi ci vedremo molto spesso, thanks. He doesn't speak much English. <laughs> so the girls on the show all think that he is incredibly handsome. You guys, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is so on me. If you want, I'll do it. <laughs> I know. I just want to bite his bottom lip. But I won't. God, the first time he smiled at me, those three seconds were more exciting than three weeks in Bermuda with Barry. And because Ross had a huge crush on Rachel, Ross really despises him. Well, Rachel and I should be together, you know? And if you get in the, um... In bed. No. <laughs> no, not where I was going. Uh, if you get in the way, way of us becoming a thing, then uh, I would be, well, very sad. Mm. Oh. <laughs> so do you, um... Ceviche? Si. Si? Si? So you, uh, you do know a little English. Poc, little. Yeah. Do you, uh, mm, do you know the word crap weasel? No? That's funny, because you are a huge crap weasel. Besides being from Italy and speaking very little English and living in the same building as Rachel, we know pretty much nothing about Paolo. Rachel breaks up with him after he hits on Phoebe while Phoebe was giving him a professional massage at the massage parlor where she works. Paolo, really interesting character. He was only on four episodes of the show and he left a really huge impression. What's our overall takeaway of Paolo? What, what do you think about him? The hair, the leather jacket, the tight sweaters. We're going to talk about him a little bit more later, but any, any initial first impressions? Well, you know, I mean, I'll take him just as a complete package from all four episodes. I mean, the guy's a sleaze. Hmm. I, I'm just going to jump right out and say it. You know, he's at first, we don't know what to think of him. You know, he shows up. He's got the cat. He seems like a nice guy. Nice you know, guys who, have cats. 
nice guys have cats. He was nothing but friendly to the entire crew when he meets them, even though he's treated poorly by by Ross and some of the you know the other guys aren't that excited about him. But then yeah, he goes and uh, he and hits Phoebe. on on Phoebe and like in a in a very it's a, a shockingly for the show was a sort of a graphic scene and it just it seemed very. You know, I know he's supposed to just be a very like kind of a ladies man, but it seemed very odd to me that he chose like her best friend to hit on. I agree. You know, like, like while dating with her. And it just seems it the rules in Italy, I'm sure are the same here. Like it doesn't not make a good sense. idea. Not a good idea. Any, yeah. It just I was like, well, all right. So, yeah, he's just so his character is uh, he's just a sleaze. I think right. that's all it is. It's, and, it's and- just. You know, one thing about Paolo's character, let's talk about immigration, because uh, apparently mm. that's the point of this podcast. Uh, we I'm talk told. about immigration. Okay. <laughs> so it's really difficult to figure out what Paolo's visa status in the U.S. could have been. There's no mention of him having a job. There's no mention of him doing anything. We only see him with Rachel. Mm-hmm. He doesn't speak much English. So we really don't know much about him. Now, the easy answer, of course, would be to say that Paolo was a tourist, right? But, Rod, there's some factors against him being a tourist, wouldn't you say? I would say so. I mean, first, he lives in the building with a pet. So that would imply some sense of permanence. I or long term, something a little long bit more term. Yeah, I mean, right? he, he, it feels like he's not some transient. You know, he lives in the building. He shows up in season two again right. after theoretically some sort of passage of time i'm not sure how much it is he's still there he's still there so there is some sense of of longevity to his stay in the united states which which would imply or not a know, suggest that he's not a tourist I agree. right so we got to think about what kind of visa status he could have mm-hmm. he doesn't speak much english so that eliminates a lot of the traditional visas for him because he you know to work in the united states you know most of the time you're going to need to have some sort of english skills he doesn't seem to have much so I'm going to do some out-of-the-box thinking, all right? All right I'm going to throw out a classification that we haven't spoken about before, and, and let's run with it. I'm going to say that Paolo was an E-1 treaty trader. Interesting. That's right. So, Rod, you're an immigration uh, you know, attorney. You know your alphabet soup of visa classifications. Before I explain to everybody why I think Paolo had an E-1 treaty trader visa, can you tell us all what an E-1 treaty trader even is? I sure can. So the, the E-1 visa classification allows a national of a country with which the U.S. maintains a treaty of commerce and navigation or which the United States maintains a qualifying international agreement or which has been deemed a qualifying country by legislation to be admitted to the U.S. solely to engage in international trade on his or her own behalf. In short, what that means is an individual can come here to set up trade with the U.S. The treaty trader must carry on substantial trade with the home country, and the treaty trader must carry on principal trade between the U.S. and that country, which qualified the treaty trader for E-1 classification. And when it comes to trading, what kind of items of trade can qualify for this type of visa? So that's pretty open-ended. Items of trade can include, but are not limited to, goods, services, banking services, insurance, technology, et cetera. It's, yeah, it sounds pretty broad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. There's a broad range of, uh, of services. So I'm thinking maybe there's a, a monetary amount that has to be traded in order to qualify for this type of visa. Is there like a, a specific figure? 
So the trade has to be substantial, and substantial means an amount of trade sufficient to ensure a continuous flow of international trade items between the U.S. and the treaty country. There's no minimum monetary value or volume for like per transaction. While the monetary amount of the trade is a consideration in granting the E1 visa, greater weight is given to the number exchanges. And just real quickly to add, just quick on that, the substantial amount is industry specific. So there's no specific number. You know, if you're dealing with an industry that normally has high volumes of, of goods, you know, expensive goods, right. uh, the volume of trade has to be high. But if you're dealing with an industry that has a lower cost of goods, the value would be lower. That makes sense. That makes sense. And from what you're saying, Rod, it appears that the E1 trader could be an individual. Somebody's coming in in an individual capacity to be a trader. But are there circumstances where perhaps the E1 trader can be an employee of a larger company being sent to the US? There definitely are. A company can qualify as an E1 treaty organization if it's an enterprise whereby at least 50% of it is owned by a person or persons who have the nationality of the specific treaty country. So Uh what you do is you trace the ownership up to the individuals and you establish the nationality of the company. Once the organization qualifies as an E1 treaty organization, the company can have one of its employees of the same nationality of the company come to the US to engage in trade on behalf of the organization as long as the employee is engaging in duties of an executive or supervisory nature or has specialized qualifications that make the employee's services essential to the efficient operation of the enterprise. All right. So I think we have the principles of what an E1 treaty trader is. It's someone who's coming to the United States, either in an individual capacity or part of an organization that's going to be involved in trading goods in the United States. So -hmm. let me explain to you why I think that Paolo is a good candidate to have had an E1 treaty trader visa. Okay. So Paolo... He didn't speak English. So I'm thinking that, you know, he could have been involved in trade activities where he didn't have to speak much English. Perhaps he was working for an Italian leather company or an Italian wine company or an Italian cheese company. And he was visiting, you know, the vendors in the United States and he was selling them the products. You know, he was going to the Italian restaurants, speaking to Italian chefs. Paolo looked like, uh, you know, a fashionable guy. Maybe he worked for a garment company and he was dealing with, you know, trading garments to, you know, Italian companies in the United States. What if he worked for Lamborghini or Ferrari and was, you know, trading, you know, automotive parts and and it didn't really require him to speak English. So I I see Paolo as this like treaty trader kind of guy. What about you? I like that idea. I feel like it's like my gut tells me, right? Of all the kinds of visa classifications, right? You know, he doesn't speak English or he speaks very little English, right? Of all the different kinds of jobs you could have, of all the different visas we've discussed, you know, the nature of the US visa system, right, is that it always has to be a US employer, a US employer, a US employer. This one, the company has to be at least 50% owned by citizens of a foreign country. Right. So, Italy in this case. So, in this case, I think the idea, like someone who doesn't speak English, is maybe more likely to be on an E visa than any of the other classifications. Because I like your idea of like, he comes over on an E and he either manages the show or he has some special knowledge about the products that they sell, but he's importing Italian products. I like that idea. Yeah. And And even importing and distributing Italian, you know, whether it's food, clothing, whatever it is, I I think that makes sense. It it seems a good fit. 
And in one episode in particular, I think Rachel says Paolo just got back from Rome. So we do know that he's going in and out of the country. So maybe he's going to pick up more merchandise. Maybe he's going to meet with the company abroad and he's coming back to sell that merchandise. Mm -hmm. E1 trader. So that's what we're going to go with. I like it. Yeah, so, I think it could yes. potential. So let's talk about how the E1 visa, let's apply it to Paolo. So Rod, how would Paolo have applied for an E1 visa? What's, what's the best way for him to have done this? So the way he would have done it would have been to apply directly at a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad and appear for a visa interview with a consular officer. Right. And, and what kind of questions would they have asked him during the interview? You so, know, besides asking about his glorious hair and his sweaters, what else would they ask him? <laughs> Sure. So they would have reviewed, he would have had to provide a significant amount of documentation regarding the particular line of business, his relationship to the company, as well as the what we were getting at before, the significance of the trade that they're engaging in or will engage in with the United States. And if the you know officer at the embassy or consulate was impressed and they said, you're approved, Mr. Paolo, how long would have he been able to have stayed in the US on an E-1 treaty trader visa? So the initial entry is for two years. It can be extended for two-year periods. And that makes more sense because, again, he's in an apartment. He has a cat. It seems like you know there's a little bit more longevity to his being in the United States than that of a tourist. So E-1 visa for Paolo. I think so. I We're think it fits. Yeah. Who else has ever thought about this? Probably nobody. And we've done it again. So, Rod, now that we've solved Paolo's uh, visa... Let's talk about, and you know, you're not the most knowledgeable man on Friends. Let's talk about something sure. you, you are knowledgeable about. So Friends and, and, and another show called Seinfeld, both mm -hmm. were hits in the 90s. Friends might have carried the torch on for Seinfeld, but in the 90s, Seinfeld and Friends were the two biggest shows on NBC. A lot of people, Rod, they want to see us debate like true lawyers. They want to see us go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, mano a mano. So right now, everybody, we have a treat for you. So Rod... Let's get started in our heated debate. Tell us why Seinfeld is the better of the shows. All right. So first of all, I think just basically, if it comes down to sort of the ethos of the show, right? Larry David, when Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, when they started Seinfeld, their slogan, what they had, I think they actually had written on the wall of the writer's room was no hugging, no learning, right? These four characters were supposed to be entirely self-involved and they were never supposed to learn a lesson once. They were supposed to be incorrigible, really bad people. And it just made the show that much more fun. You know, there's no false pretenses made at, at any feel-good stuff. The show never had any of those feel-good moments. It was just, it was four self-interested people out for themselves playing off of each other. And I think that just makes for a very satisfying, very fun TV show. That's a pretty intense argument. I like that argument. Uh, you're a fan of no feelings, no hugs, no emotions. Would, That's your thing, I, right? I would feel that that would appeal to you as well, though, Shai, you know? Well, you know, despite my rough exterior, I'm kind of a sensitive guy, you know? I'm kind of a sensitive <laughs> guy. I've got emotions. I'm like, I, like I said, I'm, a, I'm like a cat. I'm very, very emotional. So mm. let me make the case for friends, all right? Sure. So there's a few factors for friends. Number one, let's talk about the consistent plot focus of the show. Friends has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. There's always forward momentum in this show. I like a story. I like my stories to build. So you can't just jump into Friends and just you know enjoy the show for what it is. I think you need to have the background into what happened the season before or the episode before. And I like that. I like a story. 
Oh, so when you say beginning, middle, and end, you're talking about like the whole arc of the whole series. The whole arc of the whole series. Yeah. The whole from, series. Okay. Not like right. Right. From season right, right, one yeah, to season ten, right. we're going somewhere. It's not a show right, about yeah. nothing. It's really about something. <clears throat> Another thing is the international appeal of the show. This show is syndicated all over the world. And maybe that's because Seinfeld was such a New York show that it really, you know, you needed to understand New York City and some of that New York humor to enjoy it. But Friends was enjoyed by people all over the world. And the people in the UK loved it so much that they even filmed some episodes in London. I believe it was in season four or five. People can correct me about that. What about the launch of the superstardom for most of the stars? I mean, Jennifer Aniston became huge. Courtney Cox was pretty big. Matthew Perry pretty big. Lisa Kudrow, pretty big. And then the guest stars on the show. I mean, they have- Not some... Cosimo Fusco, though. Oh, Cosimo Fusco. Maybe in Italy. Maybe <laughs> yeah, in Italy we'll he to, was yeah. popular. We'll have to do some research after this. We'll get him on the show. We'll get him on the show. Yeah. What about the guest stars in the show? Let's talk about Julia Roberts, Brad Pitt, mm. Sean Penn, Reese Witherspoon, Brooke Shields, Tom Selleck, John claude Van Damme. There were some big time big shots on this show. So- Taking all that into consideration, I'm going to go with friends. All right. You can go with friends. I mean, I'll say this. I'll say that I think Seinfeld was also syndicated all over the world. As a matter of fact, where I first started watching it was in Australia. Okay. Where I think there was, you know, you're talking about the plot of the show. You're talking about how the plot works for you better on a, on a series, yeah. a series arc. So what I liked, what I thought was really great about what Seinfeld did, and I know that, you know, every show has you know, an A story and a B story. And then they, you know, the stories wrap around each other. Sometimes they go just in parallel and then they're all, you know, Seinfeld generally had like four different story strands. It was very complicated. And there was all sorts of weird interconnected stories. And then everything all came to a head all at once, you know, like four different story strands, one event, boom, you get this big payoff at the end. And also I feel like, you know, with Seinfeld, we got so many great catchphrases you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> we got serenity now. I mean, just so many great, great Seinfeld catchphrases. I don't know of any, maybe there were some from out of friends, but I just, I, I feel like friends wasn't as known as contributing in that way that Seinfeld did. Well, you make a great case. I'm definitely a fan of Seinfeld. My favorite thing about Seinfeld is that if it wasn't for Seinfeld, I don't think we would have had Curb Your Enthusiasm. And oh, I not. love Larry David. Fantastic. I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. So just because of that, Seinfeld might get the nod, but what do the people out there think? Listeners, email us. What do you like about Friends? What do you like about Seinfeld? Let us know. Yeah. Do you have a preference? If so, why? Yeah. Tell us. Tell us. Back to immigration. Let's sure. do a uh, hypothetical consultation with Paolo. So Paolo, he's going to mm. come to us for immigration advice. I think we're going to have to have an Italian interpreter. Both of us have <laughs> some uh, issues when it comes to conversing in Italian. Or Paolo was just, you know, pretending not to speak English to impress the ladies. It's one or the other. Uh, I don't, I don't right. know. Paolo comes to us. He seeks immigration advice. Usually when somebody who's in the United States is seeking immigration advice, it's usually because they want some sort of permanent status, like a green card. So let's suppose he came to us and he says, guys, I like this girl I met in the building, not Rachel Phoebe, and I want to stay in the United States permanently. I want a green card. So I think we'll have to talk to Paolo about some issues with getting a green card while he's an E1 treaty trader. Mm. An important concept that we wanted to brush upon is something called single intent versus dual intent. 
So Rod, do you want to just give us a little bit of a background of what I'm talking about when I say single intent and dual intent? Sure. So immigration basically can be divided, the, especially the employment-based immigration that you and I are often discussing in these, in these episodes, breaks down into two parts. There's non-immigrant and immigrant. Right. Immigrant is a green card. It's easy to remember. Non-immigrant, that's the visa, the soup that you were talking about before, all the different letters, the visas. That's generally what we're talking about in these shows. The non-immigrant side, these visas break into, they're based on intent. They're based on whether or not you, the traditional intent met behind these visa classifications is that you enter the United States to work temporarily, and then you depart when your job is finished. That's single intent, right? That's single intent. That is single intent. The single intent is that you will, you're only coming in to work temporarily and you intend to leave when you're done working. And then there are visas, there are visas that are only specifically geared to single intent, right? There are certain visas that fall into single intent. So essentially when you come to the United States, you're implicitly making that promise to the US government. The dual intent visas allow you to come in to work temporarily, but with this, well, I might stay basically is what the dual intent allows. And And before getting too far into the weeds, there are some technical things about the green card process. It's not impossible to get a green card when you're on a single intent visa, but it does add complications like you mentioned before. So I think the bottom line, the big takeaway here is that it's easier to get a green card when you're in a dual intent visa status. Uh, Something like an H-1B visa is a dual Mm -hmm. intent status. And we haven't spoken about the H-1B visa, but we will eventually. Paolo was on an E-1 treaty trader visa. Rod, is that a single intent status or a dual intent status? That is a single intent status. Meaning that it would be more difficult, not impossible, but more difficult for Paolo to get sponsored for a green card or to file for a green card because he was in a single intent status. Yes, because you're basically saying two things at the same time, right? When you come in as an E1, like we said, you're making a promise, I'm going to work temporarily, then leave. And then when you apply for the green card, you're saying, I want to stay here forever. So the two don't play well. So maybe one of the first pieces of advice we would give to Paolo is, listen, Paolo, if you want a green card in the United States and you want to do it through the employment-based process, maybe you can change to a dual intent status. So maybe there's a company in the United States that can employ you directly, sponsor you for, let's say, an H-1B visa, and then you can be in a dual intent status, and then it'll be easier to get a green card. So I think my consultation with Paolo through our Italian interpreter would be, Paolo, I think you should start exploring some visa opportunities for a dual intent status. And if he's here with a company as an E1 treaty trader, maybe that company has an office in the United States and they'd like to sponsor him for a dual intent visa status. Right. Yeah. That, or we probably, if he were happy in his job and didn't want to change, didn't want to do anything, if the company weren't willing to change his status, it would be more, it's a sort of a question of timing. Mm. And it's just, you just have to be careful. That's all. Even changing to a dual intent status, you have to be careful. You would need to, but we would be able to, if you were to come to us and say, you know, my company's ready to sponsor me for a green card. It's something we could do, but it is something you, you know, you do have to be careful when you're doing it. There's a lot of timing considerations and a lot of issues. You don't want to, you know, basically you don't want to come up against some sort of claim that the government makes of fraud or something like that. Right. So I think what we would have to do is we would have to warn Paolo, listen, Paolo, Mm -hmm. if you want to go for a green card, if you want to stay here permanently, you have to be careful of timing to start these processes. You have to be careful of single intent versus dual intent status. Stick with us. We know the ropes. We'll advise you. We'll get you through it. There's a lot of technicalities, but I wanted to give the the listeners just a brief breakdown of what this dual intent versus single intent status meant. All right. 
Now we're going to get into the part of the podcast where we talk about our takeaways from the show, some overall final conclusions. And Rod, we have a very special guest for today's portion of that this podcast. Do. You see, Rod, I thought we had to bring in a ringer. I thought we had to bring in the big guns today because you slept through a lot of the 90s. You were probably drunk on OK Cola. Well, there's so much caffeine in that stuff. I'm not sure how I slept through it all, but there we go. So to make amends, we're going to bring in a very special guest. Joining us today is Gibney Client Services Manager and Office Pop Culture Aficionado. It's Joanna Di Benedetto. Joanna, welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Today is a very special day. Apart from the birth of your children, I don't think there's anything that probably comes close to being the first guest on this podcast, is there? I couldn't agree more. Just <laughs> wait, because starting tomorrow, you're going to get a lot of fan mail. <laughs> so anyway, Joanna, we wanted to uh, get in on the final takeaways of the show with you. And the way it works is I'm just going to throw some things out there and we're going to have a little chat, a little discussion. So some uh, takeaways from the show. And Rod, you know this. I'm a hmm. guy who doesn't get shy, as they say, about admitting when another man is handsome. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, you don't you get that. shy. I could admit when another man is handsome. It's not a problem for me. Sure. Not at all. Like we had long conversations about Die Hard off. You know, when we weren't recording, we talked a lot about how good looking looking Hans Gruber is. So, But, but my question is, and, and Joanna, we want to bring you in for this question in particular. Paolo, is he actually that good looking? First, we'll, we'll start with you, Joanna. Great. Thanks. I have to say he's pretty good looking. Um, wow. If, if you're just looking at his looks alone, he's definitely attractive. Even the hair, the tight sweaters, the grease that's going for you, huh? So that's not necessarily my style, but he is attractive if you're just looking at him. And especially for the time. I mean, it was the 90s. So he was not an ugly man by any means. However, you know, in the episode, you don't know, or in the several episodes, you don't know what he's saying most of the time. And so that part I feel like is not as attractive because you don't even know if he's funny and you don't know if he's saying something offensive, which would make him not attractive. But just by looking at him, he's definitely attractive. Well, there you have it, everybody. According to Joanna, Paolo, attractive. So I, I stand corrected, I guess. What about you, Rod? Well, stand it's, it's, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I didn't find him to be a, an attractive man either. I'm with you. Although I will say, I know that apparently his wardrobe turned you off, Shy. Yes, but it's I a big say, thing. I, I thought his shirts and sweaters were actually, they, they, I, they were like tight fitting. I thought they fit him well, actually, as yeah. a matter of fact. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I appreciated no, his sweaters. Not a handsome man in my estimation, but you know, it's that's at least not enough to like make all of the female characters in the show swoon to the extent that they were. That to me was just, I mean, it was just meant for comedy, but it just really wasn't. I didn't buy it, but you know, I'm glad to hear that there's, you know, people who maybe think to the contrary. Well, you know, speaking of somebody who would have made the ladies swoon, I'm thinking that in 1994, if you wanted to go with a European long haired, you know, suave, dark, tall, handsome man. It's Antonio Banderas. Why didn't they get Antonio <laughs> Banderas to do this part? Joanna, would not would Antonio and Banderas have been the perfect person for this role? Perfect. Well, I'd have to disagree. Oh I'd my god. <laughs> I love this. Okay. I, 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 okay. I, I love, please. I love please. Shy's recasting ideas just getting oh. completely shot down. I'm, Let's go. I'm, I'm, Let's go, this Joanna. Is this is fun. So Antonio Banderas is from Spain. And so the actor that was chosen for 
Paolo was actually an Italian actor. So I do think that that is appropriate. So are we saying that one Latin speaking language person couldn't have pretended he was another Latin? I mean, let's talk about looks, okay? Like superstardom, looks, the long hair, like notoriety. (laughs) It's Antonio Banderas all day, every day. I'm going to die on Antonio Banderas Hill. (laughs) I don't disagree that Antonio Banderas wouldn't have been a good choice as well. But I don't think that this actor choice was a problem for the show. Well, there you go. Yeah. And I like that Joanna wants to go. It's an Italian character. So let's let's get what was it? Cosimo Fusco. I think Miss D. Benedetto. Cosimo Fusco. Miss Benedetto over here is partial to Italians. That's what's going on. Ah, It may be. I understand. I understand. It's Um, true. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about something that I think we can all agree on, because right now this is turning into a complete dump on shy. But how about <laughs> as um, it should be? <laughs> I have a great question for you guys. OK, why do all the friends hang out with each other every day, every night? I mean, don't they have things to do? Do they need alone time? Do they have bills to pay other people to see? Just like watch a show by yourself. What is going on with these people? Joanna, did you spend this amount of time with your friends when you were in your mid-20s like this? This is crazy, no? No, I did not spend that much time. Maybe more in a college setting, in a dorm, or living in an apartment on campus. I think that that's what life was like back then, but not in my 20s, not in New York City. Definitely, you need some more alone time. There's a lot of stimulation in the city, I think. There's not, there's not, it's a lot, exactly, thanks. It's a lot. And, and Rod, as a social person, I mean, I know you love the people. I uh, do love the people. Far more I, than me. Far more most than me. Of, so through most of my 20s and 30s, most, not all, but through most of my 20s and 30s, I had more than five friends. There were times clearly when it was fewer than that. But generally, I had more than five friends. So I had like a group, a core group of friends I hung out with a lot. Never in the same person's apartment. Of course, you know, no one had an apartment that size. You know, mm. no one, no, I've never known anyone really in New York that had an apartment that can accommodate six grown people comfortably. Comfortably, um, right. When you're in your mid 20s, hanging out. But yeah. yeah, especially when I was in my mid 20s. So, so yeah, I know I, it seems weird. They're, you know, all day, all night, if they're hanging out with the same crew. It would be one thing if they all lived in the same building, but it's very weird that, you know, Ross and, is trucking in from somewhere. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously he's got nothing better to do because Ash. his character's, you know, kind of not so You can cool, say but. it. He's a big dork. You can say he's it. a dork. Yeah, I, I think he's a dork. But it seems Terrible. weird to me on the note of talking about Ross, you know, Ross, like he spends all his time hanging out with his sister. I have yes. a sister. I love my sister, but like I don't spend all my time hanging out with her. And like we don't we never shared the same circle of friends. You know, we in a very healthy way, I think we led very different lives. And we used to when we lived in the same city, we would get together and hang out a lot. But yeah, this whole thing, that's weird, I think. Yeah, they're with each other all. It's like a brother and sister in their 20s, like with each other all the time, sharing the same friends, talking about, you know, like dating together. Joanna, strange, strange, you know? I agree. I think that the way they hang out with each other and have relationships with each other's friends in front of each other and the topics that they discuss. I also have siblings. I love hanging out with them. But it's almost just that sibling relationship where you keep it to talk about things that are cool to talk about with your family. Interesting mm-hmm. that they chose to go this way, brother and sister. I mean, they could have easily just had them be cousins, maybe at the most. Like, you know, I don't I don't know why they did this. And another thing is, is that the crew, when we meet them, they're in their 20s. They're they're in their mid to late 20s. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're all single. But for some reason, they are 
always at Monica and Rachel's apartment or they're just at a coffee shop and they just sit on the same sofa in the same coffee shop every day. We don't see them at bars. We don't see them at clubs. We don't see them at parties. They don't drink. They live in the West Village. They're not even eating late night shawarma on McDougal Street. Like, what is going on with these people? What, 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 that's not my yeah. twenty. My 20s was not like this. You guys? Yeah, there's, there's not one episode that takes place at Mamoons. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> when are they, you know? But no, I, I, I agree 100%. Joanna, you were a party girl in the, in the 90s, right? You weren't <laughs> hanging out at the, at the Central Park <laughs> coffee shop watching Phoebe play guitar, that's, right? You were doing things that were true. actually stimulating, fun? Yeah. Yes, I was out there. I was partying. I was sneaking out of the house, going to the beach. Yeah, doing it all. I wonder, though, if, you know, the rest of the world watching the TV show knew that that was abnormal behavior for people in their 20s in New York City. Yeah, they were in the 90s. I mean, what was their access and what was their, their vision into the city? Folks in like middle America or anywhere else that are watching the show. Yeah, I, I guess that's an interesting point. Growing up in New York, when I was watching the show as a teenager, and then in my 20s, I thought to myself, this is strange that they're acting like this. They act like they're a lot older than they really are. So I didn't think it was very, a very good indication of what, you know, mid 20s, late 20s people in New York City were like, but that's me. It didn't seem, yeah, I mean, I, I think, Joanne, I think you make a good point. But I feel like even people who are in their, like, fresh out of college or in their mid 20s, no matter where they live, like maybe they might hang out at each other's like apartments or houses more often because they have larger places. But even still, I mean, always at the same coffee shop. I mean, I don't know. Most people go to a, you know, a bar to hang out with. A bar. They're more social. They're doing things out more socially. Yeah. This is the same core six hanging out always in the same basically two this locations, is, which yeah. is weird. Yeah. Strange. They save money on location shoots, certainly. For sure. You know, and sets. And then, you know, building up on that, this is something Rod and I were talking about yesterday. Is there anything really New York City about these characters? I mean, they don't have New York accents. I want my New York characters to say things the right way. You say coffee, you say orange, you say forest, you say dog. These mm -hmm. people had mm -hmm. no New York accents. They could have been in any city. They could have been living in Seattle, for that matter. Did you find anything New York City about these people? I think that Ross has a strong New York accent oh. that I was surprised to hear rewatching recently. You know, when I watched in the 90s, I don't think I really thought too much about those topics and whether right. or not they sounded like they were from New York or if I really identified with them being in New York. But Joey Tribbiani definitely has that New York, Italian, you know, New Jersey kind of vibe about him where you know, the, hey, forget about it. What are you doing? He must have some sort of catchphrase that I don't recall now, but Raj, he definitely right. has that, that accent. I, I, and I, I, and I, I, did too. Yeah, I think she's yeah. got, I definitely, I can, I, I heard Joey's accent. I guess I heard it less with Ross, but I definitely think I agree with you, Joanne. I think you're definitely right about, about Joey. Yeah, but I Joanna, feel like- Putting I me in like, a place again. Perhaps you were just distracted by how cringy everything Ross was saying and didn't realize how much of a New Yorker he sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> that's it i feel like for me it was less so the accents right but it was more like the storytelling like what was happening in the show there's so many like weird like we all know the three of us because we've all lived in new york some of us still do but like we all know like all the weird peculiarities and all the bizarre everyday things that we deal with as new yorkers that we like there's so much fodder for a show, for example, Seinfeld used and like capitalized on granted, I've only seen 
four full episodes of Friends in my life. And I <laughs> that's watched why, them just as, pe- just as past weekend. That's why Joanna's here for us today. That's why Joanna's here. We get, <laughs> actually get someone who knows what they're talking about. But I didn't feel like, and I've never known what I know of Friends, right? Which I think, you know, Shy and I were talking about, this is probably is what helps with the general appeal of the show and the major international appeal of it. But there's nothing specific about New York in the TV show for me. They could live in any city, like Shai pointed out. And I think it would work. Like if they lived in Seattle or if they lived in Philadelphia, it's the same show. Yeah, I think think they went to a Rangers game once together. They talked about the Knicks here and there, but it wasn't enough. They should have had some more New York things involved in the show. I think for this TV show, the, the city is a secondary character, whereas in other shows, the city plays a role in the show, like sex in the city. The city is often, she even refers to the city as her boyfriend. The same in Seinfeld. The city is very much a part of the city streets. The other characters from the streets are a part of the show. Whereas Mm. Friends, it really just appeals to these like silly one-liner jokes and this group of people who are at times hilarious and other times really cringy and offensive. But (laughs) sometimes it's just really funny and you're laughing. That's a great point. And also, it's an amazing segue into the last takeaway. Speaking about one-liners that are cringy, <laughs> what in the world is a crap weasel? So we spoke about this earlier in the podcast, but Ross calls Paolo a crap weasel. I have never heard the word crap weasel before. Have either of you ever heard of a crap weasel? Please. Never have. Joanna, I leave this to you. You're the expert on the show. <laughs> Joanna, it's, it's not like they used the word crap weasel ever again, did they? I don't think they ever used it again. I think it was this one-time deal. I think it's just to add to the repertoire of really annoying things that come out of Ross's mouth. And I don't know why the studio audience would laugh at that comment, but or that it's name. It's not something anybody said. Nobody said crap weasel. If there's somebody out there who ever said crap weasel, write us an email and let us know, and we'll scold yeah. you for it because that's not a real word. We'll scold you. For, yeah, I had thought that it was. <laughs> I, I assumed like I was watching it, and I was like, oh, it's probably some sort of inside joke that comes up. Like this is something they call people when they're annoyed at them or something like that. So I just sort of accepted. At first, I thought he was saying crack weasel. <laughs> that would have been so- a little bit funnier. I had to go back and listen with the side to turn the subtitles on and listen to it again. I was like, no, it's crap. And then I was like, but that's, I, I don't understand. This is not a term that I'm familiar with. Not, you know, certainly the okay cola drinking crowd never used it. And I, um, <laughs> and that's your and crowd. I, that's my crowd. We learned but, everything yeah, and about so, you. I had assumed, I was like, oh, well, you know, this is probably the first usage of this term. That's probably some sort of inside running gag or inside joke. There's, you know, nine more seasons of TV. I'm sure it comes up plenty. And then Shy never was like, again. no, no, I've never used it. And like we were saying, Ross is a dork. He's supposed to use like a dorky term. But there are so many other things that he could have said that would have been like normal. You could have called that, him a, a, a big yeah. jerk. He could have said anything yeah. to him. Yeah. Just, you know, very curious about the writing process for, well, that, for that joke. You know, Joanna, I think you you put me in my place when it comes to Paolo being good looking. Apparently, you're not as uh, high on Antonio Banderas as I am. For everybody out more, there, you find him a lot more attractive. Oh than man, Dan everybody does. out there, watch the 1994 movie Assassins with Sylvester Stallone and Antonio Banderas. That's peak Antonio right there. Mm, the hair. <laughs> so my wife will love that. I'll, I'm have, saying I'll this. have to check it. I will have to check out his hair. But Joanna, <laughs> this was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, know, you so much for having me. This was get, awesome. Get yeah, ready thanks for, for the, thanks for coming the, on. Get ready for the fan mail. People might be begging to hear more from you. So um, yeah. just don't start a competing podcast. We can't handle that right now. Right. And remember us. Yeah. When you're accepting yeah. your right. awards. I'm the, num- I'm the number one fan of the pod. Oh, Joanna. You hear? We didn't even pay her to say that. 
We, yeah. No, and, and, I'm not and, making yeah. any money. You read that statement perfectly, Joanna. Perfectly. We'll Thank be you. prepared for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joanna. <laughs> thanks so thanks much for coming thanks on. So much for having a, me. So much fun. Thank you. And now we want to thank Joanna Di Benedetto for that amazing segment. She did a great job. That I hope, was great. Yeah. I hope we can have her and other people on the podcast again soon. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. If you have not done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and rate us. The ratings really help us. Give us those five stars. You can find us on all the major podcast streaming platforms. More platforms are popping up all the time as podcasting is becoming more popular. Rod, give us the breakdown of where you can currently find us. Sure. You can find us on all of the major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon. So many. And et cetera. So and many. Cetera. Yeah, we're, we're on all of them. We're on, yeah. More podcast uh, you know, platforms want us and we're willing to do it with them. We would love to hear from you. We're getting feedback. We had the feedback about the aliens. Uh, send us your questions, your comments, anything. Rod, what's that email address? So that email is astalaviza at gibney.com. That's H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y dot com. The paralegal Brooklyn, who was in the mailbag episode, she's going to look through those emails and she's going to go through them and she's going to give us uh, the best emails. Yeah. And if I may, just real quick, before we jump further, I just wanted to mention, if you love the sound of my voice, I did a guest appearance on a friend's podcast called Saint Podcast. I was on the specifically the St. Lawrence episode from August 4th. His name is Eric. He's got a podcast called Saint Podcast, where he goes through the lives of the saints. Rod, uh, are you cheating on me? No, I'm not. Just you can listen to it. You can. It's it's out in the open. I am certainly not shy. Well, it was just a. It was a guest appearance. Only, I got about the only person you can cheat on me with is Antonio Banderas. <laughs> the only exception I make. But if anyone wants to hear my voice, you can find it there on all the same places where where our podcast is. And you know where you're going to hear Rod's voice. You're going to hear Rod's voice on the next episode of the Asta La Visa Baby Podcast because next month we are going to do a deep dive into a new television show on HBO called The White Lotus. This is a hit. It just aired in July. People forward to that. love it. I loved it. Everybody I yep. spoke to loved it. Great we're, show. We're going to focus on a uh, Australian character named Armand, who was the uh, manager of this White Lotus Hotel in Hawaii. So mm-hmm. we've got a big conversation about what kind of visa Armand would have needed and what kind of ramifications he would have uh, suffered given uh, the activities he engaged in on this show. So White Lotus, Rod, you looking forward to that episode? I'm absolutely looking forward to that. I had a lot of fun with that show. I think it's a great show and I think it's going to be a, a great topic for us. And it's the most current show that we've ever done. It's by far. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So we can get out of the 90s. We can do it. And we're yeah. doing it. That'll be the third TV show we've done Consecutively, yeah. I'm, Consecutively. I'm, I'm loving the TV. So this was fun. I had a really good time. Very informative, very educational. I still say that Antonio Banderas would have been a better Paolo, but Joanna thinks otherwise. <laughs> so that being said, until next time. Hasta la visa, baby. 